about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because in the month of Abib, he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifices the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made from yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt." Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, when the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the feast of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your manservants and maidservants, the Levites in your towns, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest, and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Hi everyone, my name's Gilly, and our second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14, on page 1189. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, 
Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, you love us more than we deserve. And we pray now as we look at your word that you would speak to us profoundly and you would shape in us such thankfulness that the world begins to see. And we pray that in the name of Almighty Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know what you felt when you were reading uh, that chapter uh, from Deuteronomy. It's quite an odd chapter. Turn back to 187 so you have it open for a bit later. Uh, But if I was to relabel this chapter, or at least the bit we read, I think I'd have to go with God's good guide to partying. Because they're verses designed and are a command to have regular festivals to open up the feasting hall. Uh, There are two commands to rejoice. Not summons to rejoice, but commands. Now, I don't know how you feel about partying. Someone recently put this uh, on my my wall. Tim, help me out, maybe. Next one. It's disappeared. That's very sad. Someone recently put on my wall, uh, someone's shirt that read, uh, I love to party. And by party, I mean read books. Which, you know, I think is a little mean, because everyone likes to party. Even I like to party. It just so happens that on the way to the party, I I was reading a book. And it's in my back pocket. But celebration is one of those great parts of human life. I mean, being here and watching them get dunked, is that not a high point? Are not times like this where we, we grab the good things of life uh, and we enjoy them? Aren't they some of the sweetest moments? David Brooks in New York Times says that gratitude is a sort of laughter that your heart makes when it views surprising kindness, laughter that springs up out of your heart. But you know what? In our world, common, ordinary things are not worth celebrating. Ordinary life has become synonymous with a meaningless life. Wow, delayed laughter. Excellent. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. Um, and the, the next slide uh, that should be there as well, maybe. Um, there's another author who, who says this Ordinary has a bad rap, and so does settling. There is the idea that we should always want more. But there's a beauty in cultivating an appreciation for what we already have. You see, our society at the moment functions on your discontent. On making you feel dissatisfied so that the next thing is appealing and you want to take it with you. Thanklessness runs our economy. Dissatisfaction is the status quo. But what we see in Deuteronomy 16 is the alternative. A society not run by discontent, but by radical generosity that flows out of thankfulness. And so I want to explore that with you this evening. Tim, you can take that off. Thanks. What I want to look at in chapter 16 is quite simple. There are two ways to party in chapter 16. And then I want to ask the question, 
Why is it that we need to party? The two ways you party, and then why? There are four festivals in chapter 16, and they kind of they have they kind of split into twos. They do quite different things. And the second two from verse 9 and following are parties that are to do with celebrating God's blessings. Times of thankfulness in the rhythm of life. So verse 9, the first one of these two, it's called the Festival of Weeks. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain and then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to that blessing. Literally, from the moment that your sickle hits that first grain, count seven weeks and then start to party. This was designed for the time of year when the harvest was ready to go. It was ready to be brought in. And all the blessings of God were on view. Now, I'm not a farmer. That might surprise you. But I have an uncle who's a sugarcane farmer. And recently he showed me a photo of his crop for this year. And it's 12 feet high. I'm looking at this photo going, is that normal? He's like, no. I'm like, well, how did it get so big? I don't know. (laughs) It's great being a farmer in this country, right? But, you know, when the harvest comes in, it's the moment where you get to see how much you're going to get that year. And it's not dependent often on how much or how hard you've worked. They literally spring up from the ground. It's a moment when the power and the goodness of God is especially on view. And at that moment, they were to stop and to party and to enjoy the good things that God has given us. Now, we're not an agrarian culture, but perhaps there are similar moments in our life, things that come our way that are quite clearly not from our own power. You know, things like growing up in Sydney, like I've had the privilege of doing. You know, I didn't get to choose that. It was a gift, something God has blessed me with. It's like the most special people you have in your life. They're not there because you worked hard to get them. They're a gift. It's like those moments in life where things just seem to work despite the circumstances. Those moments when it appears that God has blessed you, even though you don't necessarily deserve it. That's what that festival is for, for standing back and celebrating those moments. But the the second festival in this category uh, is called the the Feast of Tabernacles in verse 13. And it's quite different. It happens a few months later, and they're told, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. What happens between harvest and this moment is that the people get to work. Now, I don't know anything about threshing. I had to like Wikipedia that because I didn't really know what that was about. But threshing is when you separate the edible bit of the grain from the rest, and you have to work hard to do it. It takes labor, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes skill. It's the same with wine. Grapes just don't form wine on their own. Did you know that? Amazing. You know, you have to work for it. They have to ferment a little. It has to, you know, some fun stuff has to happen, and you have to be wait and be patient. And so when they harvest the the stuff that is celebrated, and when they they work a bit more and, and the produce is ready to be consumed, they're to celebrate again. 
And it's interesting this moment, isn't it? Because you'd think from, from here to here, that was kind of, you know, God was like, you know, grew the sugar cane, but then we turned it into sugar, right? So you'd give thanks here, but not there. But what Moses says in verse 15 is that, you know, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in the work of your hands. You know, when you are in your workplace and good work happens, it's not just because you're great. It's because God has blessed you. It's because God has made it happen. You know, there's moments when the work project gets through, even though it's three months late, it got through and we're done. Uh, or that moment when you finally get that win and that breakthrough that you were waiting for, or the exam finally gets done and you get the promotion, or you get a moment of success or a windfall when life, you know, and the effort you put into it suddenly turns out in your favor. It's not just from you. It is from your kind and gracious God. And so Israel were to stop at the harvest and they were to stop when the job was done as well and celebrate. I wonder if that is your instinct when work goes well for you to rejoice and to give thanks. You know, the funny thing at the end of 15 is that it says without celebrating, you know, the enjoyment doesn't knack out. Why do we do these things? And your joy will be complete. You know, a good thing isn't a really good thing until you name it. Until you view it and you stand back and you go, whoa, that was the greatest coffee I've ever had. That was the best trip I've ever had. That was the best season at work I've ever had. That was amazing that we're still alive right now. Um, G.K. Chesterton said that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Happiness doubled by standing back and going, whoa, because celebrating brings joy to its maximum. And without that moment of thankfulness, you don't see the moment and the blessing for what it actually really is. But what's interesting also in these festivals, before we move on to the next type of party, is it's interesting how you're told to be thankful here. Did you notice the inclusiveness you know, uh, in both of those, the sons and daughters, it makes sense, the family. Men, servants, maidservants, sure, they've worked out in the harvest. The Levites, the town minister, wow, he gets an invite. The aliens, asylum seekers, the fatherless, and the widows. Thankfulness looks like generosity. It looks like including those who don't have enough with the surplus that you have been given. Thankfulness flows out. Thankful, thanklessness stays in. But it's not just to others that it flows, it's also back to God. And they're to give a free well offering in verse 10 at the, the festival of weeks. And in verse 17 you read uh, how you, you can't come to God empty-handed. You have to bring a gift in proportion to the way He has blessed you. And what happens in that moment when you offer a bit back to God, it's like you're saying, the whole thing came from you. So of course I can give you a bit back, because none of it's mine to begin with. It's a radical moment of recognizing that you are not self-made, but your life is instead upheld by another. Thankfulness flows outward to others and back to the maker from which blessings flow.
So the first type of party is a celebration of thanksgiving. The second type's quite different, though, in the first half of the chapter. I don't really know how to label these. They're kind of like moments of commemoration or moments of reliving or recollection. Uh, They're like Australia Day and probably more like Anzac Day in our culture. That great day where we don't just uh, think about what happened in the past. We actively try to relive it. We enter back into the battlefield and feel the weight of the sacrifice that means we have a free country. You know, my first job after school uh, was actually, I was contracted by a funeral company to play the last post at War Vets funerals. It was amazing work, 100 bucks, three minutes work, incredible. And the, the reason why they wanted it live is because with a live trumpeter, you enter into those haunting moments on the battlefield, right? The, the summons to a new day or the end of a day of battle where, where the blood has been spilled on behalf of others. And as we march and as we listen and the sights and the sounds, we relive what it costs. That's what Passover was. Passover was a moment to enter back into the experience of redemption that Israel had seen and touched and tasted. That's why as you look through that section there, there's all these kind of really strict specifics. It has to be in the month of Aviv. It has to be um, at sunset. The meat can't be left over until the next day. It has to be an animal that is sacrificed. All these little details aren't to be finicky. They're they're the details of what happened in Egypt. On the day when they had to slaughter a lamb and cover the, the, the door frame in the blood so that when the killing angel went through Egypt, they wouldn't be killed, the lamb in their place. They're literally being taken back into that moment to experience it for themselves. It's the same with the second festival that's here. It's, not, it's kind of tucked in with Passover, but it's separate. It's the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days after Passover, you couldn't have yeast anywhere. And that's because when the, the Israelites were fleeing, they didn't have time for their bread to rise. And so as you taste this bread, you're literally like tasting the fact you have to run away quickly. It's you're experiencing the haste and the, the speed of needing to flee out of Egypt. You're literally tasting your redemption again. This is genius stuff. Because what it does to you, what Anzac Day does to us, what this does to you is it captures your imagination. You know, thinking a thought doesn't take hold of you in the same way as experiencing a thing and tasting and being bodily present to it. This kind of habitual imagining immerses us in the goodness of God. You know, that's why we do this, right? You know, this dramatically helps us taste and see and hear and experience the spiritual reality of us dying and being raised back to life by the Lord Jesus. It's the same at the Lord's Supper. We actually, we, we hear Jesus' words again and we eat the bread that he gives us and we drink the wine and we're in the room with him. 
And those moments, they take hold of our imagination. You know, Kierkegaard, the philosopher, said, you know, whatever you feel, whatever you know, whatever you will, do you know what it came from? It came from your imagination. Whatever has taken hold of your imagination will run your life. So what do you do with that? You know, in my more cynical moments, um, I think about, you know, church today, ah, why don't we just, why don't we just YouTube it, you know? Why don't we just dial up Hillsong and Emu, get them live, sit at home in our PJs, get Matt Chandler to preach, you know, get some wine. It'll be, it'll be great. Let's YouTube church today. Cynical moments, right? I'm not allowed to think that. I'm a pastor. But, um, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same as sitting on an uncomfortable chair in the same room every week. And hearing the people around you and experiencing the fullness of the room as praise is sung. And, and looking at each other in the eye and being a part of something here. Because what we do every week here is we reimagine the story. We relive it. We reenact it. And we enter back into it. And that takes hold of your imagination in a way that YouTube just Never can. God's gathered people around the word in the power of the spirit takes hold of imagination. And that helps you live a new life. So can I say, if you are battling to get to church tonight, God bless you. Because you have, exp- you have enabled the people around you to reimagine the salvation that God has given them. And there is no greater gift you can give to the people around you. It is the habit of walking into this place week after week that defines us. You see, what you celebrate in the end will define who you are. The things that you carve out space to celebrate will define your existence. Our habits define us. And so we are called into these moments of thankfulness and these moments of recollection and reimagining. But the question I want to ask is this. Why do we need them? Why do we need to party? What do we lose if we don't have them? Can I confess something tonight? You know, I'm one of those dorky guys who goes online and looks up spiritual inventories, and that's not the thing I'm confessing. I know it's bad. Um. But every time I do them, do you know what the thing that comes out? Absolute bottom every time. Thankfulness. Can I confess tonight that I'm a thankless person? That I am so good at overlooking the goodness of God. And even when I see it, throwing it back to Him in praise. And I know in myself what this breeds. Two things, pride and greed. Because if I'm not thanking him for it, I'm assuming that my hands got it for myself. And if I'm not acknowledging that it is abundant, then I'm saying it's not enough and that I need more. And so thanklessness in the end pushes me in on myself like a spiritual toxin, growing my own self-dependence and self-madeness. And the thankfulness and recollection of Deuteronomy 16 
is the thing that sets me free. You know, the thing that's through the backbone of this whole passage that I skipped, I'm wondering if you, you saw it. There's something mentioned in verse 2, 6, 7, 11, 15, and 16. And it's the place where the parties were to happen. And at this stage in Israel's history, it is an unnamed place. It is the place he will choose for the dwelling of his name, where they will set up the tabernacle, and when Solomon will actually build a temple where God himself will dwell. And all of Israel, uh, at the, uh, in verse 16, is required to come to that place with full hands to give thanks to God. Every male in the community drop what they're doing and to walk into the presence of God and realize it is not about me and I did not get it for myself. It is about him and he gave it to me. Life is not about me. In those moments of pilgrimage and homage, they were habitually calibrating their lives and hearts to the overflowing goodness of their almighty God. And that was a cure for their thanklessness. But can you just imagine for a second replacing the discontent of our culture with the gratitude of Deuteronomy 16? Can you imagine if the status quo was, yes, I have enough, I have too much, I can hand more away, that I don't need to get what I deserve because I've been given what I don't deserve, and so there is enough to hand to God for his purposes, and there is enough to hand to my neighbor. Can you imagine the world with that vision of thankfulness as its fundamental brick. It is startling. But as I close, we have to acknowledge the irony of this chapter too. You know, the festivals mentioned here barely ever happen. In fact, one of them is not mentioned again until the New Testament. Israel were asked three times in the year to give thanks, and they couldn't do it. Their thanklessness was like mine. They neither walked into God's presence, and even if they did, they came with empty hands, assuming what they had got was for them and from them, so much so that they lose their access to the presence of God to the point where any offering that they gave would not win their way back. And that's why we need to listen to Hebrews chapter 9. Because the Lord Jesus didn't walk into a temple. He walked into the presence of God himself. He didn't come with a handful of grapes and some olive oil and 10% of his income. He didn't offer part of who he was. He offered his entire self on the cross and came into God's presence with his own blood as an offering. And his one thankful worshipping moment makes up for every time we've come up empty-handed. Every moment of our thanklessness is wiped away by his one moment of true worship, a culmination of an entire life. And you see, a life of thankfulness begins by knowing in the depth of your soul that you could offer everything you have to God, but the only way back is the offering of Jesus. 
And when your heart can see that and begin by saying, thank you, Jesus, it's the moment when thankfulness can start to flow. The thing I want to call you to this evening on the back of that is to a habit of thankfulness. Some small thing that you can bring into your life. I'm going to start bringing up the things I'm thankful in the day at the dinner table. I don't know what it can be for you. Maybe your decision is going to be, I'm actually going to be in church every week. I'm going to give my voice to my neighbor in their imagination every week. I don't care what it is. But let a habit of thankfulness well up in your life. Let me pray that in for you. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we confess tonight our thanklessness. We confess that we have not come, we have not seen, we have not given thanks, and our hearts are forgetful of your blessings. And we are so thankful for Jesus. That his one offering is enough to make up for the lack of all of ours. And we pray in thankfulness for the freedom and cleansing that he gives. That we might begin a new habit of thankfulness in his power. And so be a blessing to you and to others. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.